letting go of control of my diabetes and allowing my wife to help me has been challenging, but it's been really fruitful for my mental health. It's been a great exercise in allowing other people to help me manage my diabetes because I know that we're stronger together. Diabetes is challenging for all of us, including myself. Yes, I am a psychologist who specializes in type 1 diabetes, and I live with diabetes myself. And just because I'm a professional does not make me immune to the mental health challenges of diabetes. Welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman, and I invite you to join us as we talk candidly about the emotional challenges of living with type 1 diabetes. We'll give you actionable strategies to help you face these challenges head on, reduce your stress, and most importantly, live a full life without letting diabetes get in the way. Hey there, welcome to the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Heyman. A couple weeks ago on Instagram, I asked my followers how important it was that their diabetes healthcare team, whether it's their mental health professional or their endocrinologist or their certified diabetes care and education specialist, have diabetes. And I was shocked by your answer. You told me that it is extremely important that your healthcare team has diabetes. And I know that many of you don't have the opportunity to have a member of your healthcare team with diabetes who really gets it. And I understand that. It's challenging. You want someone who understands the day-to-day struggles that you go through with your diabetes management. On that note, I want to make sure that I am giving you the best information that I can. And part of that is helping you to know that I get where you're coming from. Or people say to me all the time, you're a professional, so your diabetes must be in perfect shape and you must never have any mental health challenges. And nothing could be further from the truth. I live diabetes every single day, just like you, and I get the challenges. I'm doing pretty well right now, but there have been times in my past where the challenges have really gotten to me and I have struggled. And I learned from those things, And I hope to be able to share with you the skills that I've learned through those struggles to help you to overcome the struggles that you're having right now so that you can be more spontaneous in your life, so you can be more present with your family, and so that you can really do the things that you want to do in your life. But you have to know that even though I'm a professional and I do this for a living, diabetes is challenging. And diabetes sucks sometimes for me, just like it does for you. In this episode of the podcast, I want to talk about some of the biggest challenges with mental health and diabetes that I've experienced. And I want to give you some tools that have worked for me in helping me to overcome some of these really challenging situations. I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 21. And for the first eight or nine years, I don't remember any major challenges. I had a couple, but nothing that really struck me down and really got in my way. But then when I was in my late 20s, I had a series, and I mean three or four that I can count, severe low blood sugars. And let me tell you, nothing has been scarier for me in my life with diabetes than these lows. The first one happened, actually ironically, 
the day that I defended my dissertation. My dissertation was about diabetes, and I had a big party at my house. And what happened was I was expecting to be eating and drinking and having all kinds of fun. And I had a lot of fun, but I didn't eat as much as I thought I was going to. I took a bolus of insulin thinking that I'd be eating all night long and I want to get ahead of the game. And that actually came back to bite me because I was so busy having fun, entertaining my friends, talking about my successful defense of my dissertation that I forgot to eat. And that led to a really challenging situation. I woke up in the middle of the night with the paramedics in my room. After the party, I passed out. And my girlfriend at the time had called the paramedics because I was not responsive. They came and gave me glucose and got me conscious. But wow, after that, I was shaken up. I wish that I could tell you that was the only time I've had a severe low blood sugar. But over the next couple of years, I had several more that were just as scary. And I won't go into the details right now because I don't have the time. More than happy to share with you in the future about these. But suffice it to say, severe low blood sugars became a bit of a pattern for me about 10 years after my diagnosis. And I was pretty surprised that I had gone 10 years without ever having these types of severe lows. But when I did have them, it made things challenging for me. It made, it made me very worried about my blood sugars. It made me worried to go to sleep at times. And it made me think about diabetes in a very different way. I want to talk about what I did after these severe lows. And I'll tell you, one thing that changed the game for me is wearing a CGM. Every time I've had a severe low blood sugar, I have not had a CGM that I've been using. And that mostly because these things happened before CGM was really widely available. After CGM, I haven't worried about lows at all in the same way. I feel very lucky that after these severe lows, I was able to recover quickly. And even though I was scared and nervous, I didn't have the paralyzing fear that some people do. And I want to talk a little bit about what I did after my lows to be able to come to a place of acceptance and to be able to move on without having diabetes stop me in its tracks. The first thing I did, as you could tell before, when I'm talking about my low after my dissertation defense, was to do what I call a root cause analysis. And that's to look back and try to understand what causes severe low? As you probably heard when I was talking about it before, the thing that caused my severe low the day I defended my dissertation was that I had taken insulin and not eaten enough. I made the assumption that I was going to be eating all night long. And I got distracted. I was having fun with my friends. I was entertaining them. And eating took a back burner to those things. Not on purpose, but because I just wasn't thinking about it. It was really helpful for me to understand that there's a reason why this happened to me. And sometimes there won't be a reason, but in this case there was. I had, not, I had taken insulin and not eaten. And so therefore, the next time that I'm in that same situation and I got worried about going low, I can go back to that reasoning and make sure that I don't make the same mistake again. We learn from our past mistakes in diabetes. Diabetes is a constant learning process. And even though it's not always predictable, sometimes it is. I know if I take too much insulin and don't eat, my blood sugar will go low. So in this instance, I've been able to learn from this. Yes, I learned the hard way. But now when I'm at a party, I make sure that I only take insulin after I eat. 
not before. Because if I make an assumption that I'm going to take insulin and then eat to catch up, it doesn't always work out that way. Another thing that's really helped me deal with the aftermath of these severe lows is to remember that they were isolated incidents. I live many days in my life with diabetes without ever having a low blood sugar, let alone a severe one. And in the 23 years I've had diabetes, I can count on one hand the amount of days I've had really severe low blood sugars, whether I've been unconscious or not. They are few and far between. If I come to believe that I'm going to have a severe low every day, I'm going to be paralyzed. But I remember that they happen very infrequently. And they've happened even less frequently now that I wear a CGM. For me, putting these severe lows in context, and remember they don't happen very often, and hopefully will never happen again, is really helpful. One thing I want to encourage you to ask yourself is, how often do you have severe lows? Have you ever had one? Or if you have had one, how frequently do they happen? If they're happening every day, something needs to change. But if you've had one in five years or one in 10 years, they are isolated incidents. They probably have a reason. And if that's the case, it's much easier for you to manage your anxiety around that, knowing that they happen very infrequently and they're almost always isolated events. The last thing that's been really helpful for me in dealing with the aftermath of my severe lows is to recognize the feelings that I have after them. I remember after my lows, I have felt embarrassed. I felt helpless. I have felt out of control. I have tried to be very mindful of these feelings when they happen. What I mean by being mindful is I notice them, but I do my best not to attach to them. I notice that I'm feeling helpless. I notice that I'm feeling frustrated. I notice that I'm feeling out of control. But I don't grab onto them and make those feelings a part of me. I am not out of control. I am not helpless. That's how I'm feeling right now. By being mindful and not attaching to these feelings, it's helped me to move on from them as opposed to getting stuck in those feelings and feeling like I'm always going to feel helpless and out of control. If I tell myself, I am stuck, I am out of control, I am helpless, it becomes true. If I tell myself I'm feeling these things, I'm feeling helpless or out of control, it helps me recognize them as feelings and not as a core part of who I am. And noticing those symptoms, they're very real feelings, they're very real symptoms, has helped me to detach from them and has helped me recover from these feelings in a healthy way, as opposed to getting stuck and not being able to move on. Another challenging situation I've had in my life with type 1 diabetes is at work. I remember very vividly in my first job out of college, my blood sugar went really, really high one day. I was working for a small consulting firm doing HR consulting, and I went out for lunch, and after lunch, we had a big client meeting, and somehow my blood sugar skyrocketed up to 400 plus, and I was feeling awful. And suffice to say that in that meeting that afternoon, I wasn't very present. I was just trying to survive, and people were asking me questions, and I wasn't answering them very well. And after the meeting, my boss, who was in the room with me, was asking me what was going on. She was really getting down on me and really telling me that I had to step up and do a better job. And I didn't have the words to explain it, but I was just struggling. I felt so awful, both physically 
and emotionally. I felt like I let the team down. I felt so sluggish and so nauseous at that point that I couldn't really function. And I didn't have the word to explain to my boss exactly what I was feeling. And it left me with a really sour taste in my mouth. I was questioning my ability to be a productive member of society, especially in this job with diabetes. And I didn't know if it was going to be possible for me to continue on in my career. Those thoughts really got me down. And that situation has played back in my mind over the years when it comes to work, in my ability to be successful and to manage my diabetes well at the same time, because that day was really challenging. Over the years, I've had more challenges at work where I've had low blood sugars or high blood sugars, or I've just felt exhausted because I didn't sleep well the night before, and I was feeling burnt out by diabetes. And that has gotten in my way of doing good work. Even sometimes now, as I work in the diabetes field, I have those days where things are really challenging. And luckily, I'm able to use those challenges to my advantage in my work, where I can share them with people and help them to see if they're not alone there. And that's actually part of my work. But when those days happen, and you're just feeling awful, both physically and emotionally because of diabetes, it makes you question yourself. Or it certainly made me question myself as to how am I going to be able to be a productive member of society and be successful and fulfill my dreams with this challenge of diabetes on my back. So what did I do to handle these challenges? I have spent a lot of time reflecting back on the situation that I had in that first job out of college and some of the other situations I've had in jobs since then. The first was to take responsibility for the situation. Now, diabetes wasn't my fault, and I'm not responsible for that. And I'm not even sure I was responsible for my high blood sugar or my low blood sugars at that time. But it's not my employer's fault. It's not my boss's fault. And it may not be my fault. However, I can and did accept responsibility. In doing that, it empowered me. Accepting responsibility empowered me to recognize my limitations at that moment, but also not to push diabetes and the challenges I have off on somebody else or something else. It's easy to try to scapegoat diabetes, especially when things don't go your way. And when it starts to impact other people, whether it's in their work or their activities or their social life or their relationships. Accepting responsibility doesn't mean that you do something wrong. What it does mean is the buck stops with you. There's no one else who can take responsibility for your diabetes except for you even when things feel like or even are out of your control. By taking a step back, taking a deep breath, and recognizing that I was the responsibility for my high blood sugar and how I acted after my blood sugar was high stopped with me, that empowered me to take action, to take responsibility, and to let my boss and my employer know that they did nothing wrong, that I'm willing to be insightful about the challenges that I have, and I'm willing to make an effort to make sure that doesn't happen again. The next thing that I found really helpful was to be communicative, to be open to my communication with those around me. One mistake that I made in this situation was I didn't tell anybody how awful I was feeling. And I'm sure that if I had, things would have been different. They probably would have told me to go home or not to worry about participating actively in the meeting. But because I didn't tell them what was going on, I tried to keep it to myself, 
it completely backfired on me and made the situation worse. People wondered what was happening, why I wasn't talking, why I was in such a bad mood. And and diabetes never crossed their mind. If I could have been more transparent as to what was happening for me, they would have understood much better and could have helped me to navigate the situation in a much more effective way. So after this incident happened, I've really tried to be more communicative and let people know what I need from them and how they can support me. And if nothing else, letting them know what's going on for me. That has helped tremendously because it's given me support. It's made me feel more understood and has helped me not to feel like I have to dive in when I'm not feeling well, which happens sometimes. The final thing that's been really helpful for me in my mental health and my diabetes around my work is to be able to set appropriate boundaries. That's boundaries with other people, but also boundaries with myself. Like I said a couple minutes ago, letting people know what I need and what I don't need, especially in work situations, has been extremely helpful. Letting someone know I need a minute before I can take the phone call because my blood sugar is low. Letting people know that I need to eat right now because I'm about to go low. All of those things are both communication, but they're also boundaries. Telling people what I can and can't do and what I'm comfortable and not comfortable doing in a certain moment has been extremely helpful. I used to have the tendency to do whatever had to be done, no matter how I was feeling. And I realized that that wasn't really helpful for me or for my work. So now I'm willing to take a step back and ask for a moment or even a day if something with my diabetes isn't going right and I'm not gonna be able to be fully present with the work that I'm doing. Take a minute and think about the boundaries that you can set for yourself with your work and your blood sugars in order to have the best mental health possible. The last challenge I'll talk about today is a challenge in my relationship with my wife. I have had a couple of really severe low blood sugars with my wife present. And that was the beginning of our marriage many years ago before I got to CGM. But it was challenging for us. And I learned a lot from these situations, even though they were really scary and really hard. First is the importance of having open communication and empathy. I know that when I have severe low blood sugars, I don't want to talk about it at all. And I don't want to let other people know. I don't want to, rec- and I don't want to recognize how those lows may have affected other people especially my wife. But I realized that for my mental health and for our marriage, we had to talk about it. We had to be open in our communication with each other about how we were feeling. And even more importantly, I had to be empathetic and really listen to how my lows impacted her. It was not easy to hear, but my mental health improved tremendously when I knew my wife had my back. But in order to really have my back, she needed my help too. She needed to make sure that I understood the impact this was having on her and being willing to be open about how we are feeling and my willingness to make changes to reduce the risk that something like this would ever happen again. And luckily over the past 10 years or so, nothing like this has happened again. And we learned some great new communication skills in the process. But I had to be willing to accept responsibility here. My low blood sugars were maybe not my fault again, but they were my responsibility. The buck had to stop with me. I can't blame my wife for an external situation for these things, especially when they're impacting her so much. 
And so taking responsibility for the challenge that I have has helped me and helped her and helped our relationship. The final thing that's helped me and my wife and our mental health around my diabetes is a willingness on my part to let go of control. I don't know about any of you, but I have something called I'm fine syndrome. And what that means is when my blood sugar goes low, I have the really bad habit of putting off treating it and to let everyone around me know that I am fine, even when it's clear that I'm not fine. As I'm sure you can imagine, this has caused plenty of challenges in my relationship with my wife. She knows me very well, and she knows when I'm low, and she gets extremely frustrated when I try to push her away and tell her I don't need to treat my lows. We had to come to an agreement that I had to let go of control, and we came to this agreement that if she thinks I'm low, and she asks me if I want something or she hands me something to treat the low, I have to treat it, no questions asked. I had to be willing to let go of control in these situations, both because I need to treat my lows, but even more importantly, for my wife's sanity and for harmony in our relationship. Letting go of control of my diabetes and allowing my wife to help me has been challenging, but it's been really fruitful for my mental health. It's been a great exercise in allowing other people to help me manage my diabetes because I know that we're stronger together. Diabetes is challenging for all of us, including myself. Yes, I am a psychologist who specializes in type 1 diabetes, and I live with diabetes myself. And just because I'm a professional does not make me immune to the mental health challenges of diabetes. I hope this insight gives you some hope and lets you know that you're not alone here. And also, I hope that the strategies that I've given you today that I've used will help you improve your mental health and your relationships in your life with type 1 diabetes. Diabetes isn't easy for any of us, and I'm here learning right alongside you. If you're looking for more tools and resources in your life with type 1 diabetes, especially around your mental health, I want to invite you to join the Diabetes Psychology Membership Program. This membership program gives you the tools and support that you need to be more spontaneous, to be more present, and to succeed in your life with type 1 diabetes without letting it hold you back. Life does not have to be on the back burner. You can put your life on the front burner with diabetes in the background, but you need the skills and tools to do that. And this membership offers that. There are weekly interactive sessions with me where you can ask questions, get support, as well as get practical tools you can use on a regular basis in your life with type 1 diabetes. We also have a community where you can get support from other people and a library of resources you can access at any time around many different aspects of diabetes and mental health. To join the membership, go to www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash membership. That's www.thediabetespsychologist.com forward slash membership. And I can't wait to see you there. That does it for this episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor. Send it to a friend. Put a link in a text message or an email and send them this and send them this episode and send them this episode and let them know how much it helped you and how much you think you can help them. That helps you get the word out about this podcast, and I really appreciate it. I always love hearing from my listeners, so please feel free to send me an email to mark at the diabetespsychologist.com or DM me on Instagram at the Diabetes Psychologist. And be sure to tune in next Thursday for a brand new episode of the Diabetes Psychologist podcast. Remember, type 1 diabetes is not easy, 
but you can have an easier time with it. And I'll see you next week, same time, same place. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. For more resources, you can visit www.thediabetespsychologist.com and be sure to sign up for the email list for access to exclusive content. I'm Dr. Mark Heyman, and tune in next time for the latest episode of the Diabetes Psychologist Podcast. Podcast.